Christmas at Crossroads. Again, it's Christmas season. It feels like Christmas. Some people know that it feels like Christmas and it's cold, the first kind of cold snap. So they're like under the electric blanket. And I totally get that because I am an electric blanket person. You know, again, this is the time of year that I used not to love. I, I, I love it now, but I used not to love this so much because Christmas season was always kind of taxing for me because it was a season where I had to work when everybody else was off. And that, that's going to be the way for some of you. And I totally sympathize with you if you're one of those people have, who have to work. Because I used to own some convenience stores. And we weren't open 24 hours a day. But we were, at that time, open 365 days a year. So when Christmas rolled, rolled around, it was never fun for me because it was just an indication that everybody else was going to be off and to be with their family. And I wasn't going to get the benefit of that. But, you know, things began to change, and uh, I finally made enough money where I didn't have to stay open on Christmas, and so I ended up closing on Christmas, and it got better, and then I stepped into this calling, and, and I just love Christmas. I mean, I just love everything about Christmas. I love the decorations. I love the gifts. I love the music. Uh, and yes, I started listening to Christmas music the day that Cirrus, or Cyrus, or however you say it, Cirrus started it. Uh, you know, they have those special channels. I think it was November the 7th. I, I started listening to it. I, I listen to it now. I will listen to it until it quits playing because I just love listening to uh, uh, Bean Crosby and Dean Martin and, all, and Ella Fitzgerald and all, Eartha Kitt. I, I like the old people. I mean, I love those people who, who can really like sing those old classic songs. I love all of that. I love the food. I love the candy. I love the sausage balls. Amen. 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 I, I love the I love the gifts. I, I love the gift giving. I, I love the joy. I love the happiness. I, I love the sausage balls. I, 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 lo I love the kids' faces, and I love to watch kids' faces when they open their gifts. So again, uh, I, I, this morning, I want to start by doing something a little different because I know there are a lot of people who are very familiar with the Christmas story. But again, we've been looking at the Christmas story, but if you're maybe a little unfamiliar with the Christmas story, I want you to see the Christmas story as it's actually told by kids. And again, you probably, some of you have seen this on social media. It's been seen like 60 million times, but I want you to watch this. So just sit right where you are and pay a lot of attention to what's going to be happening because it's going to happen on the screen behind me. This is the Christmas story as told by children. An angel came to see Mary. She was doing laundry. And then the angel just appeared and she was really scared. So Gabriel was like, Mary, you're gonna have, what? I can't, I can't say good. Mary, you're gonna have a baby. I, you're gonna have a baby and you will call him Jesus. And then Mary was like, I'm not gonna have a baby yet. I'm only a teenager, I'm not married. Then the angel Gabriel told Joseph that Mary is not lying. She, you are having a new baby. And so they met up. They went to Bethlehem, which was Joseph's old town. They ride a donkey. Uh -huh. <laughs> I don't know. A camel. Oh yeah, a camel. She said, this donkey's fast. They tried to go to a hotel and they asked the keeper um, for a place to stay. The keeper said, we have no rooms, literally no rooms. <laughs> so Mary 
And Joseph walked away sadly, but then he said, The only place in here in Bethlehem that, that you can stay, stay is a staple. And then he just pointed the way and they followed. When the shepherds were taking care of the sheep, and then they saw angels. The angels said, a new baby is getting born, who is king of the Jews. The angel was singing. And then the shepherd said, I think we should go there and meet him. The second, I think, said, yeah, I agree with you. And the other said, yeah, me too. They had to walk through a bunch of grass and bushes, maybe have to camp out a night. And then the wise man heard about it. And then a star appeared. Well, we should probably follow that star. It's pointing down to the barn. So maybe we should follow it. Maybe. So the wise men went to Jesus. They gave them gifts. A stuffed animal, like a hippo one, that I have at home. Some diapers, and some wipes, and some milk, some shoes, some Jordans. Gold, Frank, and Latimer. And I don't know how I would survive in that barn. Too stinky, too crowded, and ugh. I think he probably pooped because the room was very smelly. Thank you for coming. He's adorable. He's going to be our best friend. I love you, and you're the best baby i ever seen. There, I said it. <laughs> the new baby is going to change the world. Yeah, there you go. And that's exactly the way it happened. That's exactly the way it was. It, it is. It's an amazing story because it's really the story of hope entering the world. And after the last 18 months, who doesn't need a little hope, right? I mean, my gosh, again. Well, what we've done during the Christmas season is we've been going through what I would say is a hope-filled prayer. And most of you know that as the serenity prayer. And again, it's a prayer that many people have actually used uh, to actually shape their prayer lives. So we've read it out loud every week of this series, which has been the two previous weeks. And we're going to read it out loud again. So I'm going to put it up on the screen, and I want you to be prepared. So here we go. We're going to read this together. Everybody clear your throats, and let's get ready. Here we go. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things that I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Now, during the very first week of this series, we looked at the, the very first part of this prayer. Grant me the serenity to accept the things that I cannot change. Things like people, things like the past, things like uncertainties that happen in our life. Because I told you in that very first week, we're going to have things like those riptide events, things that you didn't see and that you didn't know that were gonna, they were going to happen to you. You didn't see them and you didn't know that they were coming, but they're going to wreck our lives in one way or another. And so what we did in the very first week of this series, we looked at the life of Mary, uh, the mother of Jesus, and we saw that serenity the serenity to accept the things that I, ca I cannot change. She was going to have a baby. She didn't understand. Again, it was something that she could not change. But we saw from her life that serenity is one of those things that runs really, really deep. 
and, and that peace that we need when we have to accept those things that we cannot change. The thing that we discovered in week one is that peace comes when we trust in Jesus, when we trust his heart, and when we rest in him. Now, last week, we looked at the life of Joseph. Uh, the husband of Mary, and we talked about that second part of the prayer, which is the courage to change the things that I can. And we also kind of discovered, or I've kind of discovered, I'm starting to learn that I believe, you know, courage actually comes from me actually living my life in the strong, strong hands of God, especially, again, with what we've gone through during the last 18 months dealing with COVID and everything that, you know, kind of impacted. One of the things that I have learned when it comes to courage is it really comes from me just me just living my life and trusting God. So, again, if you've missed either one of those first two messages and you have time during the holidays, uh, one of the things I would recommend you do, because it's all filtered through the Serenity Prayer, I would recommend you go and listen or watch off of our Facebook page both of those messages when you have time. And again, when you think about those first two weeks, God grant me the serenity to accept the things that I cannot change and the courage to change that I, the things that I can, it kind of brings you to a place where you're naturally going to ask the question, about things that happen to you in your life. I mean, you're going to have something happen and you're going to find yourself at a crossroads where you basically say, okay, is this something that I have to accept or is this something that I need to change? I mean, think about it. When something happens to you that doesn't make sense, you're going to want to, to, to just kind of find yourself in between those two places. Okay, do I accept it as it is or do I try to change it? That's where the last part of the prayer comes in, because you may not know what to do, so that's where we need the wisdom to know the difference. Again, looking at this story and the characters in it, since we're talking about wisdom, uh, I was telling somebody this week, somebody asked me last week, said, oh, who are you going to talk, talk about next week when it comes to talking about wisdom? And honestly, I had three different options, but I deferred to the option that would probably make the most sense. So if we're looking for wisdom and we're thinking about the Christmas story, naturally, who do you think we're going to talk about? The wise men. That's good. You did good. You're going to get a star on your paper when you leave today. <laughs> we're talking about the wise men. And, and again, what's really interesting about the wise men is that the wise men are oftentimes referred to as the we three kings. We, we hear it referred to that in songs and different references made as kings. And here's the thing. We're not really sure that they were kings. We really don't know if they were kings. But the one thing that we do know about these three guys who are in the story, the one who had the hippo and Frankenstein and, and, and the other one, we know that they were wise men. Now, somebody pondered the fact, and again, this is, this is kind of old, but I'm still going to use it. What would have happened if there were three wise women in the story? And if that was the case, they would have arrived on time, they would have delivered the baby, they would have cleaned up the stable, they would have made a casserole, and they would have arrived with practical gifts for the child. So the, again, we know that's what, have happened if it was, what would have happened if it was wise women. But I want us to look at how, how Matthew actually records this story in Matthew chapter 2. A lot of scripture, I'm going to read through it. Here's what it says, Matthew's account of the Christmas story. He says this in chapter 2, Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea. 
during the reign of King Herod. That's important. We'll talk about that. About that, about that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, Where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of the law and asked, Where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem, in Judea, they said. For this is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah. For a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. So, so Herod starts to, to contemplate another ruler. There's, there's going to be another king born in Bethlehem. And these guys, these wise men, have come looking for a king that is supposed to be born in Bethlehem. But let's go look at what Matthew says. Then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men, and he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. Then he told them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child. And when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. Are you starting to smell something a little evil here? Are you starting to smell something and see something a little sinister here? Herod brings these guys in and he basically interviews them. He, he wants to know what's, what's, what's the 411? What's the skinny? What, what, what is it about this Messiah? What is it about this king that you're looking for? So he brings them in and he interrogates them. He, he dresses them down to get the information that he needs. And we're going to see why he wants that information in just a minute. But here's how Matthew goes on. It says, after this interview, the wise men went their way and the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and they saw the child with his mother Mary and they bowed down and they worshiped him. Then they opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And when it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route. For God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. I've been to Herod's palace four times. And I've stood in what is called the Great Reception Hall in Herod's palace. And history tells us that in that great reception hall in Herod's palace, that very well could be the place where Herod interviewed these wise men who were looking for Jesus. You see, I think we have to understand that Herod was a king who was an extreme narcissist. So much so that he built his palace on the top of a mountain. And when he started building his palace on the top of this mountain, he looked across the way in the, in the area of the Dead Sea and he saw outside of Jerusalem there another mountain that was higher than the mountain that he was building his palace on. So he had his people tear down the top of the other mountain because it was higher and bring it over to the mountain where he wanted to build his palace. That's how an extreme narcissist and how much of one he was. He lived in luxury while his people lived in poverty. 
He was a man who was married to 10 women all at the same time. God bless him. But he killed the only woman that he said he truly loved. He killed his mother-in-law. And he even killed three of his own sons. And he did all of that simply because he wanted to keep his throne secure. Now think about that. Because when you think about all of the things that I just told you, you start to see that there's this big contrast in the Christmas story. And I want you to see the contrast, so I'm going to put it on the screen behind me. Here's the contrast. You have the wise men who are looking for a king. But Herod wants to be a king. In fact, the primary goal of Herod's life was to ensure that he stayed on the throne. Because in his own egocentric way, he wanted to be master of the universe. And let me tell you this morning, that wasn't a position that he had any intention of resigning from. But, but, but think about this. In reality, Herod was only a puppet king. Because really, when you think about it, we, we, we kind of know the story. Most of us do. The Roman Empire was actually in control, and, and Herod was their puppet. So they allowed him to be the king of the Jews, and he loved and he loathed that title as king of the Jews because he loved playing his part because he loved his title. So when Herod hears from the wise men that someone else is trying to claim his title, then you know there's about to be a problem. And that actually was the case. Because later when Herod discovers that he had been played by the wise men, that they had returned home by another route instead of coming back to give him the information that he had asked about and the location of the child, when Herod finds out that he has been played by the wise men, he flies into a rage so that he can hold on to his throne and still be king of the Jews, and he orders the execution of every little boy to and under in and around the vicinity of Bethlehem. And let me tell you, listen, listen, listen. It would be horrible. It would be tragic. But here's the thing. If you spend the entirety of your life trying to be king, then you know what you will do? You will start to see everyone else in your life as a threat to your kingdom. And your ego is going to know no limits. And if that's the case, like in the case of Herod and murdering all those baby boys, it will always be horrible and it will always be tragic. Because, see, here's the deal. If you want to be king, now listen to me, Crossroads. If you want to be king and somebody else comes along, namely Jesus, then somebody's going to have to give. One of you is going to have to give. Because in your life, just like in my life, there's only room 
for one king. And knowing that there's only room for one king, it brings about what I say is the question of the day. And the question is who? Who is it that's sitting on the throne of your life? Who's the king of your life? Because I can tell you this morning, I want you to hear me this morning, I can tell you from personal experience that there's a little Herod in you, just like there's a little Herod in me, because there's a little Herod in all of us. See, like many of you, I, I resisted the claim of a sovereign God who wanted to rule over my life. And the reason I resisted God is simply because I wanted to be the one who was making the decisions. I wanted to be the king. I wanted to be the one who was going to call the shots. But truthfully, I learned that in my role as master of my universe, that when I try to play God, when everything comes about, becomes about me and I never serve other people and I walk into a room and say, here I am, instead of, oh, there you are. Then I get enslaved. I get enslaved by, by my appetites, and they run wild. They run wild because I get addicted to approval, and I get addicted to applause, and I get deceitful, and I exaggerate, and I lie, and then when I lie, I have to cover up the lies that I just told. And if I'm not careful and I get on social media like Instagram and, and Facebook and Twitter, it becomes all about the likes. And if you have more likes on your post than I have on my post, then I get jealous of you because you have more than me. If it's all about me and I'm the king, I devalue people and I use people. And that's pretty much my track. That's my record as king. Because as Randy Almighty, I have a pretty bad track record. Because I can be more like Herod in my heart if I'm not careful than I can be like those wise seekers, those wise men. But then I started to learn a truth that is found in Psalms 111 verse 10. Where the writer says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All who follow his precepts have good understanding. To him belongs eternal praise. And I have learned that, that seeking after the real God, getting to know his character, respecting his sovereign authority, standing in awe of his creativity and his creative genius, when I trust in his love and his unfailing love and surrender to his leadership, when I allow that to happen in my life, that is when true wisdom starts to rush into our lives. I love what Ellen Davis said. I'm going to put the quote up behind me so that you can see it. She said, the fear of God is the, is the, sane, is the deeply sane recognition that we are not, that we're not God. And again, if you've ever been in any type of recovery program, then you know 
that the ability to make wise decisions, those wise decisions will never be made until we stop playing God. When we finally get to the place where we let God in and we respect his authority and we surrender to his love and we start walking with him and you start letting him lead and you do what those wise men did and you start bowing down in worship, then with exceedingly great joy, God will begin to flood your life with wisdom. And that decision-making ability now, when you have the wisdom, it allows you to decide. It allows you to discern between what you need to accept and what you need to change. And once you can discern between what you have to accept and what you need to change, that simply leads you to a whole new way of living. Because you see, the same guy who wrote that the beginning of wisdom is the acknowledgement of God's greatness, he was also a king. And his name was Solomon. And this morning, I want you to understand, when Solomon was walking with God... He writes all of the amazing wisdom that we find in the book of Proverbs. He wrote this in Proverbs 3, verse 5. He said, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. In verse 7, he said this, Don't be impressed with your own wisdom. Instead, fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Then you will have healing for your body and strength for your bones. In verse 13, Joyful is the person who finds wisdom, the one who gains understanding. For wisdom is more profitable than silver, and her wages are better than gold. Wisdom is more precious than rubies. Nothing you desire can compare with her. She offers you long life in her right hand and riches and honor in her left. She will guide you down delightful paths. All her ways are satisfying. Wisdom is a tree of life to those who embrace her. Happy are those who hold tightly. See, wisdom is the thing that allows you, it's the thing that allows people to build character. And I want you to look at a verse in Proverbs that speaks to just that. Proverbs 23, verse 3. It says, by wisdom a house is built, and through understanding it is established. Though th through knowledge its rooms are filled with rare and beautiful treasures. Now think about that. Because when Solomon wrote that, he wasn't talking about a palace on a mountaintop like Herod had. He wasn't talking about a grand reception hall that was filled with precious antiques and precious paintings. When Solomon wrote what you see behind me, he wasn't talking about an HGTV dream home where you have stainless steel appliances and granite countertops with an open concept. That wasn't what he was talking about. He was talking about lives, those lives that are lived and the right person is on the throne. He was talking about lives that are rich and lives that are full of laughter. 
He was talking about lives that are filled with the rarest treasure, like joy and contentment and selflessness and generosity and love. People who finally have the wisdom they need to accept the things that they cannot change and change the things that they can. You see, I think the wise men are actually in the story because they they bring something front and center. And the idea that they bring in front and center is this. Am I going to be king? Or am I going to be smart enough to look for a king? Am I going to be the master of my universe? Or am I going to resign and say, God, I want you to come. And I want you to take charge of my life. And the wise men give us this picture. They give us a picture of wisdom. As they bow down and they worship Jesus. I think there's another reason why these guys are in the story. I think the wise men are actually in the story also because they reveal God's heart for the people who think they don't have a place in the story. I mean, kind of like the shepherds in the Christmas story. The wise men are a picture of God's grace, God's inclusivity, inclusion, just to, to include us. And again, if, if you know anything about the Christmas story, you know that it's written mostly to a Jewish, a Jewish audience because that's who Matthew would be writing to. I mean, my, Matthew is writing what we just read to what would be primarily a Jewish audience. So you, you have all of these Jewish people included in the story, and then you have these wise men who are actually outsiders. Because the story tells us that, that these, these, these guys, these wise men, they actually came from the east. And we're not sure exactly where they came from, but most historians and most theologians kind of believe that they came from Persia. But the one thing that we do know is that the wise men were not Jewish. They were, they were not part of Israel. They don't have the Hebrew Scriptures. They don't have the Torah. They don't know anything about the prophecies. They don't know anything about the coming Messiah. They don't know anything about the Messiah. Because they don't worship the one true God. I mean, I mean it's, it, it's kind of like, you know, when you, you, you go into another town, you know, I mean, like, like if I go from here and I go to Watertown, I mean, Watertown people, they know each other. And I start asking certain questions. They're going to look at me and say, well, you ain't from around here, are you? So that's kind of the way this is. These guys ain't from around here. And worse than that, they're called magi. And magi is actually where we get the word magician. So these are guys who, who practice things that actually go against the Bible. These are guys who, who practice horoscopes and mythology. And again, if you know anything about the Bible, you know the Bible stands in stark opposition to horoscopes and astrology. 
And the main reason the Bible stands in opposition to horoscopes and astrology and mythology is because really those things are nothing more than a sense or a kind of idolatry. People worshiping the cosmos, worshiping the universe, instead of worshiping the one who created it. In fact, every other use of the word magi in the New Testament is actually negative, except for this one time in the Christmas story. And here's what I think is so amazing. It's irony. Because ironically, God sends these wise men. God sends these magi a star. Why would God send them a star to lead them to Jesus? Because that's what the wise men do. And here's the thing I want you to see. God sends them a star to get them to Jesus. It's just God's way of communicating to us that God was willing to meet them right where they were. Think about it. God uses all of their stuff, which stands in stark opposition to the Bible. God uses all of their stuff to lead them to Jesus. And I think that's just so cool because that's the perfect picture of God's love. These are the guys who morally, ethically, religiously, they have no place being in the story of Jesus. They have no reason that they should be in the Christmas story except here's the difference. They should be included because they're not perfect. But even though they're not perfect, they're welcome. And if they're in the story, like if we're in the story, then anything's possible. I ran across a spoken word that was written probably 10 years ago, and it's really talking about being in, because we all want to be in. We all want to be cool. We all want to be included. There's always a fear that we have that we're going to be left out. And it would be a lot better if I had this known by memory, but I don't, but I'm just going to read it to you. Here, here, here's what it says. I have wanted to be in, to be in the crowd, in the loop, in the know, among the proud, not left out, but to be allowed. I've wanted to be in. I've wanted to be in to wear clothes that are in style, be a trendsetter, versatile, just the right cut with the perfect smile. I've wanted to be in. To be looked at as someone who has much, all the music on my iPod touch, all the latest and greatest stuff and such, I've wanted to be in. But I felt aggravated, frustrated, unappreciated, slated as someone who was underrated, unimportant, unknown, unseen, average, mediocre, routine, beneath, below, beyond a chance, inconsequential, insignificant. But Jesus liked people like me. He took notice of a blind man and made him see. Saw a locked up kid and set him free. Told Zacchaeus to get out of that tree. Felt, felt it when a desperate woman touched his cloak. Knelt beside a de the dead girl and up she woke. Hung out with down and out and broke. Offered hope to the forgotten with just the words that he spoke. Touched a man with leprosy who others would mock. Touched the mouths of the mute 
the mute, and at once they could talk. Forgave a woman at a well that was the laughingstock. Came to the lowly shepherds who smelled like their flock. In a company of sinners is where he would eat. Defend an adulterer and make her accusers retreat. Made followers out of men who were crooked cheats and let the tears of a prostitute anoint his feet. And suddenly, dramatically, miraculously, undeniable, they were in. They were in his story, in his truth, in his grace, in his purpose, in his eyes. Someone great. And I have wanted to be in. And since the day that I met with him, he took all that I have been. All my fear, all my shame, all my sin. And he changed my life by letting me in. Our God is greater than the past that drowned me. Stronger than the chains that bound me. Higher than the shame that found me. There's none like him. None like him. And that's the Christmas story. The Christmas story is good tidings of great joy for all the people. I mean, again, there's, there's this contrast. There's a stark contrast between the wise men and Herod. I mean, think about it. Herod was a total insider because Herod had all of the scriptures. He had the benefits of religion and tradition and heritage. Herod had the prophecies and he had the temple. And at the very same time, Herod had pride and murder in his heart. The wise men were total outsiders. But they had worship and humility in their hearts. And it says that when they see Jesus, they worship him with exceedingly great joy. They worship him, listen to me this morning, because they discover that there is a God. And that God isn't somewhere out there in the universe in some constellation. He's personal. And he's right here. He's right here in front of us, these wise men discover. This God is right here, and he's wrapped in the vulnerability and the poverty of a child. Because he is Emmanuel, God with us. And these wise men are so moved that they bow their heads and they bend their knees. And I know it sounds trite, and I know it sounds like a bumper sticker, but listen to what I'm saying. Wise men still seek him. And wise women still seek him too. And do you know what God says? Let me show you what God says. God says that if you will seek me with all of your heart, you will find me. So let me tell you something about this church. We're just real people. We're just real people who desperately need God. We're just like the outsiders, the wise men. Because we too are outsiders. 
Because you see, there was a, there was a time back in the day when, when a lot of us were just trying to live our lives, and uh, we were just trying to live our lives, and we were trying to be the king. We were trying to be God. But we reached a place where we said, you know, we just can't do it anymore. We can't prop it up anymore. We can't pretend anymore. I can't fake it anymore. We said, God, my life is a train wreck without you. And when we said, God, my life is a train wreck without you, that's when it changed. That's when it happened. That's when life changed for us. That's when wisdom came and we humbled ourselves. And we bowed down before him. And we finally got the right person on the throne. So let me ask you, who's going to sit on the throne of your life? Because I'm going to just go ahead and tell you this morning, if you think you're going to sit on the throne of your life, you're not a good candidate for the job. Let me just go ahead and say that. You're not a good candidate for the job because you and I need someone who is more qualified. We need somebody who is stronger. We need somebody who is bigger and better and wiser to sit on the throne of our life. And here's the thing. When we let God be God, that's the start of wisdom. It's the start of wisdom that the serenity prayer is actually about. It's the start of wisdom that helps us to accept the things that we cannot change. And the power and the courage to start changing the things that we can. So I want you to close out 2021 at Crossroads Church this year by giving you an opportunity. I want to give you an opportunity to resign. I want to give you today an opportunity to step off the throne and to take the crown that you've been wearing in your life, take that crown and lay it down and start to worship the one who laid down his divine rights and came into this world as that little vulnerable baby. And I'm talking about Jesus, the one who spent his life, who grew up working with his hands in wood, the one who died with his hands in wood, the creator who crucified his own ego so that you and I could live forever. Would you bow your heads this morning and pray with me, please? God, it's the same story every year. It's the same story. But it's the same beautiful story that we get to look at in this season of the year. And God, this year we see and we understand something different and we understand and see it differently because we've looked at this story through the filter of the serenity prayer. And we've discovered especially today that we're either looking for a king or we want to be king. That's the question. 
The question is for each of us, who's sitting on the throne of our life? Is it us or is it Jesus? If it's you this morning, today is your opportunity. Today's your opportunity to resign, to step off the throne and lay down your crown and bend your knees and worship the one who truly deserves to be on the throne of your life. That's King Jesus. All hail King Jesus. Again, who's sitting on the throne of your life? Every head bowed, every eye closed. That's the question that I hope resonates in your heart and in your mind through this holiday season. Not the gifts, not the food but who's sitting on the throne of your life. Jesus, we love you. And God, we're thankful for your one and only son who came into this world wrapped in cloths and was laying in a manger, who was sought out by these wise men who were as far away from you, God, as they could have been, but yet you used the things of their life to bring them to Jesus. That's what I'm asking for these people today, God. Use the things in their life to bring them to Jesus. As we ask this prayer this morning in Jesus' name, amen.